Hey you, yes you, thanks for tuning in to the Healthy, Wild and Free podcast. My name is David Benjamin, I'm your host and the founder of HealthyWildAndFree.com. If you're like me, you understand that health, the mind-body-spirit-heart connection, and living a green, eco-friendly, sustainable lifestyle are some of the most valuable and life-enhancing lessons that we can learn and pass on to our children to live happy and abundant lives. That's why this podcast was created, to help you grow in these areas. If you aren't already subscribed to the newsletter, go to HealthyWildAndFree.com, click the box at the top right-hand corner to get a free copy of our latest ebook, and you will be subscribed to be notified about future podcasts. Thanks for subscribing and tuning in. Enjoy. Hello, podcast listeners. This is David Benjamin, your host of the Healthy, Wild, and Free podcast. And today we have a guest on the show named Lauren Lockman. He's a nature enthusiast, Reiki master, certified permaculture instructor, a poet, author of a children's book, a body surfer, as am I, so that's awesome, we're going to talk about that, (laughs) and beginner board surfer, an animal lover, motorcycle enthusiast, and the author of Unconditionally Guaranteed, Creating Perfect Health System. He's the founder and director of the Tangwood Wellness Center in Costa Rica, and Lauren began studying the relationship between nutrition and health in 1977. Since 1997, Lauren has led more than 2,000 people through water fasts from one to nine weeks and has coached more than 2,000 others to better health. In 1984, Lauren contracted chronic fatigue, irritable bowel, candidiasis, sinusitis, and 57 allergies. After a three-year struggle with medicine, Lauren got himself well within six months. He's been a raw vegan since 1991. And I'm bringing him on the line right now. Lauren, are you there? I am. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, thank you. How about you? I'm doing very well. Uh, glad to have you on the Good. interview. I'm really, really excited to chat with someone from Costa Rica. It's one of my favorite places in the world. Uh, lived there last year. Yeah, mine too. <laughs> yes, pleasure, uh, pleasure to be here with you. Uh, thanks for thanks for joining us. Uh, I wanted to ask you to start the interview with um, how did you initially kind of get into to health and wellness? Obviously, you had a little bit of a health struggle yourself. Was that kind of initially how you got into it? Well, uh, that had a had a huge role to play, but in fact, um, when I was 14 years old, between my 14th and 15th birthday, I grew 10 inches without adding a pound of weight. And uh, as you can imagine, I looked like a stick, um, you know, with a with a big nose. And hormones were kicking in, and I wanted girls to find me attractive, but I looked like a stick, so. I started thinking that maybe if I paid attention to what I was eating, I started paying attention to nutrition and working out, I could develop my body a little bit. And that's when I started studying nutrition, uh, somewhere between the age of 15 and 16. And so I was already kind of focused that way and, you know, thinking outside of the box a little bit. And then at 23, a year, within a year of graduating from college, I wound up getting very, very sick, as you, as you were saying in the introduction. And... You know, I, I really, I didn't really know much about medicine or, or all that much about health. But and, and all I, I'd grown up with Western medicine is, you know, allopathic medicine is my only real resource. And so I went to my doctor, and I went uh, over the course of three years. I wound up seeing three different doctors and being told each time that most of what I was dealing with didn't exist. It was just in my head. Um, back then, 
and this is nearly 30 years ago, uh, very few doctors were aware, even today, but back then, very few were aware of candida, were uh, understood what chronic fatigue syndrome was, or even irritable bowel syndrome. So they would tell me things like, well, just be careful what you eat. And that was great advice. The only problem was that I felt crummy if I ate anything at all. You know, I was constantly in distress. Uh, I was constantly exhausted. And with candy, my body was constantly producing alcohol. So it becomes a serious issue. And I finally realized after three years that I was getting worse, not better. And that if I wanted to get well, you know, clearly my experience with three different doctors was telling me that I wasn't going to find the help in medicine. And I think it frankly helped me out. You know, having grown up on the East Coast and in a conservative Washington, D.C., I, I wasn't aware of all the alternatives all the alternatives to Western medicine. I grew up with just Western medicine. And it, that probably helped me in a certain way because it shortened my learning curve. You know, had I known about naturopathy and homeopathy and other, all the other opathies out there, I may well have uh, taken longer to get to where I finally got to. But I wound up realizing that if I, needed, if I was going to get well, I was going to have to look to the laws of nature. You know, it, it occurred to me that in nature, health is the natural condition, that animals function at a much higher level of health than people do. And I just needed to figure out how to apply those laws of nature to my own body. So kind of in your early 20s, you kind of had a uh, coming back to nature epiphany, if you will, and that's kind of led to more depth within your journey to some degree? Yeah. I mean, it, was really, it was really at 26 when I finally uh, made that realization. And then, you know, even then, my, one of my goals, I mean, I went back to nutrition. You know, I thought, well, maybe I need to go back to nutrition and see where, I'm, where I've gone wrong. And I quickly realized I was doing everything conventional nutrition said I should be doing, and I was the sickest person I knew at 26. And so I started thinking about conventional nutrition and why it wasn't helping me. And what I realized was it wasn't really likely to help anybody very much because it's based on some pretty silly notions. I mean, first of all, it looks at individual components of food rather than looking at food as a whole. You know, food is a system. Natural foods are, are systems, and we need, to, we need to consume them that way. And every study on individual nutrients is, is, you know, pretty much every single one concludes the best way to get this particular nutrient is by eating the whole foods that contain it, not isolated supplements. But nutrition pretty much looks only at isolated nutrients and how they interact rather than looking at how the body interacts with systems as a whole. And similarly, they, they don't pay a lot of attention to what's actually natural for our bodies. And so when I finally gave up on, on conventional nutrition, my next thought was, well, maybe I need to figure out not what nutrition says, but rather what's actually natural to my body. Now, if nutrition is failing me, then, then there's, it clearly doesn't have all the answers. And yet, you know, the answers must lie in nature. And so I started thinking about what was natural for my body. And that led me to some pretty simple conclusions. First of all, I realized that uh, anything processed, anything in a package, was not natural. And, you know, and many people, by the way, uh, argue with this, this theory all, all the time, that what's natural is best. Personally, I'm completely clear for myself that we're never going to improve our nature. Now, we... we have these magnificent bodies, and the best we can do 
is to understand what they were intended for in nature, what the natural design is, and apply that. So for me, it's, you know, I've, I've now been 26 and a half years, coming up on 27 years, without a single day sick. I, I don't use supplements of any kind. I don't use superfoods of any kind. I, don't, I haven't used medications of any kind in all that time. And I haven't been sick a single day. I don't use practitioners. I don't, you know, I don't go to chiropractors. I don't, it's not, not that they can't be helpful. That's not what I'm suggesting. But what I'm really saying is that you know, understanding what happens in nature is understanding that every organism is self-cleansing and self-healing. Mm-hmm. So you've kind of find a, you've found a uh, self-regulation process within your life. I wanted to ask you, when you kind of first got started uh, in healing in your own life, was it basically mostly diet that you kind of first kind of making changes in your life with, or did it lead to other things, or was it kind of a combination of uh, physical, diet, emotional, spiritual? Was there kind of more to that? Uh, it, it was a combination of factors, and I'm, I'm willing to to step out on a limb here and suggest that in order for the kind of healing that I experienced to occur for anybody, it has to be a combination of factors. That as powerful as diet is, diet alone can never create the kind of uh, amazing shift that I experienced and that I experienced because diet is, is a, you know, again, it's a critical factor and it has an impact on the body, but it's one of many factors and we can't ignore the other ones in favor of this one uh, admittedly important one and expect to get the same benefits. It's simply never going to happen. Mm-hmm. What what specifically in your life uh, beyond diet uh, did you use in your own healing process? What kind of breakthroughs and, and different events or experiences kind of uh, led you to that conclusion? Well, the, the first one was um, the first one was kind of by accident. I mean, again, with chronic fatigue syndrome and all the issues I was dealing with, I realized I needed to sleep as much as possible. Um, there was, you know, for me, it was clear because I could barely keep my eyes open. So I started, you know, the, the biggest change probably was I realized I needed to listen to my body and start meeting these needs. And that was a clear and obvious one. And, and you know, it, it's, it's interesting because when I teach people how to take their health to the highest level possible, we, we can't ignore the realities, uh, the importance of physical exercise and activity. But when the body needs to heal, as it does, it needs rest, not exercise. And so I, it took me a while to figure that out, that although I was still exercising, it wasn't actually helping me. In fact, I was, like many people, I was running on adrenal glands that were completely pushed to the limit. And forcing myself to exercise when the energy wasn't there wasn't helping. It was actually making that situation worse. So uh, diet, you know, was a huge piece. Um, ultimately, understanding about sleep was a huge piece and the importance of sleep. Uh, exercise and activity and its role, you know, whether, again, typically the importance of in- incorporating some of it and sometimes understanding the, the importance of not incorporating any of it when the body needs to heal. Um, I also, uh, fortunately, I, I was living in a place, Washington, D.C., where even in the wintertime we get a fair amount of sun. And so I realized the importance of sunlight and its, its effect on the body. Um, mm-hmm. 
the emotional piece was a huge piece. And again, you know, this, I, I had already been doing some emotional work. I was very fortunate. I was involved in a youth group when I was in high school and junior high school, uh, which I ultimately became the president of. And our adult advisor was, uh, this was a, a Jewish youth group. He was Jubu. He was Jewish, but he was practicing Buddhism the president of the organization, I worked closely with the advisor, and he wound up teaching me to meditate and teaching me some Buddhist principles that have guided me uh, throughout my life. You know, I, I really began to look at things in a different way and ultimately came to realize the importance of the whole emotional piece. And so I began to, to do uh, quite a bit of work to deal with and attempt to heal some of the wounds that I've been been living with, and I, you know, I think virtually everyone deals with something similar. Uh, I would suggest that that's, that's a huge and significant piece. Ultimately, within about a year, I came across a book called Rational Fasting. And fa- Rational Fasting was written by Arnold Ehrd. Are you familiar, aware of the book, David? I have not heard of it before, no. Yeah. This, this book was written in the 1920s. So, you know, and this, for those of you listening, uh, you know, this may be hard to imagine if you're if you're in your 20s or 30s, but this this is all happening pre-internet, right? So, you know, today we're uh, I mean, it's hard to imagine life without Facebook, you know, life without email, uh, without Google and YouTube, but none of these things existed. So, I found this book in a used bookstore, and it sounded interesting to me. And, and having grown up uh, in Judaism, I was familiar with fasting one day a year. And so, you know, where I mean, I really, it seems like many people in our culture believe if they skip lunch, they'll probably die. I had already fasted one day uh, a year several times, many times over the course of my life up until that point. I knew I could survive a day. But, but this author, who was long dead, and so wasn't available, you know, was, was talking about people going weeks without food. And it sounded crazy, but at the same time, he made a lot of sense to me. And so I decided to try it. But I, you know, I didn't. I didn't have anybody to depend on. I was on my own. I didn't know there were places that existed or, or experts that were still out there. I wasn't aware, and I didn't know how to find them. You know, again, without Google, you know, back in the old days, you, you couldn't go to your yellow pages and look up fasting. You weren't going to find much. So, I wound up trying two days, and when I sur- and I parked myself close to the refrigerator just in case. And <laughs> when I survived that, I tried four days, and then I went six, and I went eight. And I worked myself up to fasting 21 days, and I'm sure I made lots of mistakes. I mean, you know, one of the things I'll say here is that having taken thousands of people through the process, hundreds of those people, many of those people, tried fasting on their own first, and virtually to a person made significant mistakes, um, which in many cases actually cost them something. I mean, they, they actually hurt them in some way. So, you know, it's, it's, when you think about power, um, Think about a chainsaw, you know, or an automobile. That that power is neither good nor bad. It's it's just what is. It's neutral. It can be used to help you and hurt you. An automobile is a good example. You know, it's it's a very powerful tool that can get you from point A to point B a lot faster than walking bicycles or horseback. But that power also means if you don't know what you're doing you could wind up in a ditch or a head-on collision or, or encountering a tree in your life. And the same is true with, with anything powerful. 
fasting is a powerful process. Unfortunately, many people don't really know what they're doing, and that's because it's completely lost to our culture. So you know, today, I would never encourage anyone to do what I did um, because there are supervised fasting go to where people have expertise and actually know what is and isn't okay. And uh, we, we, you know, we take people through the process and guarantee them amazing results. But yeah, I mean, I wound up working my way up and seeing amazing things happen. But I want to point out, even before I ultimately realized that cooking food wasn't natural, and that took me a while. It's, it's funny. I mean, today it seems obvious, but and today, you know, a lot of people may come to this conclusion on their own because it's it's much it's much greater in the in human consciousness. I mean, there's a lot of consciousness around this in the world today. But back at the time, obviously there were always people who were doing it, but it, it wasn't a big deal. There weren't a lot of people out there promoting it or trying to make their livelihood from it or putting YouTube videos up on it. There weren't a lot of books out there on it. Um, the consciousness about it was much less than it is today. And so it took me a while to realize that, well, I realized that uh, pizza, beer, and Twinkies weren't natural. It didn't occur to me that brown rice and steamed vegetables weren't natural. It took me several years to realize that. So when I finally made that realization, I had already made huge shifts in my health just from giving up processed foods and animal products. And that, that would also be cool to me. And I'm sure this is... Uh, you know, contentious point for many people, but if you look, simply look at the digestive physiology of our bodies compared to the bodies of those that, that eat animals, we have completely different systems. So, you know, it was clear to me that animal products weren't natural for our bodies, and by making those two changes alone, I saw a huge benefit. Now, many people, many of my clients and many people out there today have, have done the same thing, have made changes to their diet, and alone not gotten the kinds of results they wanted. And there are many reasons for that. You know, it's, it's a factor of how toxic the body is, how high or low the level of vitality of the body is. And we live in a much different world today. So where that worked fine for me at, at uh, 20, well, let's see, at the age of 30 was when I changed to uh, become a raw vegan, gave up all cooked food. And that was 22 years ago. Um, well, that worked fine for me at, you know, up until that point. At the age of 26, I, I tremendous benefit by just giving up processes and animal products. That may not work for everyone today because we're in a much more toxic world, and many people are much worse off than I was at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as it, when you started water fasting, I know um, I started water fast. Actually, I did my first real water fast in Costa Rica. Um, I water fasted for just over three days. And, I mean, you, you know, you feel the kind of, you feel your body changing, you feel your stomach changing, and it's kind of a mental, it's a mental, emotional kind of a process. You know, it's something you have to kind of work up to. Um, right. When you started water fasting, what what are the kind of changes you saw and what are, what, do you, what can people experience when they begin water fasting? Yeah, sure. Well, um, so, so again, first of all, you know, I, I hope you understand that as I now have uh, more experience water fasting with all but a handful of people on the planet. Uh, Tanglewood, my center, was the largest water fasting center in the world until we moved uh, to Central America eight years ago. For many years in the U.S., we had 18 beds that were always full. 
And I got a lot of experience that way. Because mm-hmm. of that experience, because of what I know about the process, I would never encourage anyone to do more than about a week on their own without experienced supervision. It's, it's just too potentially dangerous. But, but the benefits are enormous. And although many people think, you know, it, it seems like a very radical thing to most people, let me point out, first of all, that it, I believe it's actually the most conservative thing that you can do, if done properly, with guidance. You know, every other species on the planet, when sick or badly injured enough, will naturally lay down, rest completely, and stop eating. And in fact, I have a, a I've seen some of my videos, David, but sometimes my little uh, black kitten, Diablo, shows up in the videos. And about a week or 10 days ago, uh, he spends many of his nights outside. He got involved in a fight with a much bigger cat and showed up the next morning looking bedraggled and limping severely. And um, he promptly plopped himself down next to my desk and didn't move for three days. He refused food, put, it, you know, put a bowl of food right in front of me, wouldn't touch it. He wouldn't move. He just laid there. And on the, the fourth morning, he got up and hustled to the back door where he could spread and it was time for his normal uh, feeding. Uh, you know, that had been long enough to allow sufficient healing. But he instinctively knew, as every species does, that's what to do. Unfortunately, most people are separated from their, those instincts. So it is a natural process, although it sounds radical to most people. It's what every other species does, and it works well for us too. And in fact, although we don't think about it this way, the fact that we carry fat reserves, those reserves are there, to ensure that in times when food may not be available in nature, we don't instantly die. We can survive mm-hmm. until we can find food. And in, in nature, animals sometimes have to go quite a period. So we're all designed to fast. And the body goes through, as you said, it's a process. We actually go through a multi-step process of physiological changes. Now, the thing is, between three and four days, for the body to begin to move into the deepest part of the process. So with the three-day fast, you were actually just starting to get into that part of the process when you ended your fast. It takes 10 or 11 days for the body to be 100% into the deepest part of that process. So even fasts of up to a week just aren't that powerful. Our, our typical guests here will fast for about 24, 25 days on just water. Wow. And we, we regularly fast. I have someone now that just completed a six-week fast, 42 days. Uh, everyone wow. else here has done either 21 days or 26 days or 32 days. Uh, we rarely do fast much shorter than that because people are coming here, you know, to do serious cleansing and healing, and we see amazing shifts happen. And so when you, when you understand that, uh, the hygienists have long taught that there's one disease. It doesn't matter. It may show up in many different ways, but all the manifestations, all the different diseases that we see are really just different manifestations of one condition, which is toxemia, a toxic body. And so if, if toxins are, play such a large role in the disease process, then we can see why fasting is so powerful because there is no more efficient or effective way to cleanse and heal the body than by fasting. And the reason that's true, you know, again, I said earlier that like every other species, our bodies are self-cleansing and they're self-healing. And yet, you know, many people think, well, yeah, but juice is better because we're getting nutrition and you know, we need that to heal. We don't. Like every other species, what we need, just like the cat, is to rest completely and not tax our systems. Because we may not think about it this way, but processing food 
actually requires more than 50% of the body's daily energy. So if we are processing food, we have much less energy available to cleanse and heal the body. So we literally see things uh, can be a thousand times faster. I mean, I don't even know how to quantify it, but, but I can give you some examples. Um, we, you know, we've had many people here who've been eating what I would call an optimal raw diet because, as you can imagine, you know, there are, if you look at all the whole spectrum of, of raw diets, there's, there's some that are much better than others. And I would suggest that, you know, the, the closer to natural, the closer to what it is, the, the diet is to what our bodies were designed for, the better it's going to be for us. I've had people that have consumed what I would consider an optimal diet, raw diet, for 10 years or more and still have amazing cleansing and healing experiences while fasting. So there is no way you can compare what happens while you're eating the best diet or even what happens while you're juicing to what happens when you're resting completely and fasting. And to give you a sense of the kinds of things that can happen, uh, you know, for me, I had already taken my health just by making the changes I'd already made I uh, eliminated most of the problems I was dealing with and was feeling pretty darn good. Uh, you know, to, to pat myself on the back a little bit, I, I didn't make the mistake that so many people make of thinking, well, this is good enough or this is as good as it gets. You know, I realized through, through my whole process of aligning myself with the laws of nature that if every other species, there are roughly 800,000 species on the planet, and virtually every one of them functions at a much higher level of health and vitality than human beings. The exceptions are all the animals that we take dominion over, our pets, farm animals, circus animals, laboratory animals. These animals all die of the same diseases that human beings do. So I realized mm-hmm. that although I was feeling and functioning much better at uh, 26 and, uh, excuse me, 28 and 29 than I was at you know, 23 to 26 when I was so sick, I realized that it wasn't perfect and that I wasn't going to stop until I was functioning at the highest level I possibly could. And that's been my orientation ever since. It's in investigating and thinking about and practicing what do we need to do? How can we uh, provide the body with what it needs so that we can function at the highest level possible and manifest all the amazing things that we were intended to manifest? Because I believe every single one of us is born with incredible gifts. Unfortunately, many people never discover what those gifts are. And getting your body clean, as clean and efficient as possible, allows for amazing, amazing things to happen. So um, for me, the shifts were, were somewhat subtle because I'd already gotten myself to a pretty high level. But to give you a sense of it, we have fasted probably 150-some people now with hypertension over 16-plus years. And... 100% of those people uh, eliminate their hypertension, have eliminated their hypertension. Um, fasting is amazingly powerful because it allows the body to actually go in there and reduce, the, eliminate the plaque uh, and the other causes of hypertension so that hypertension disappears. You know, medications to treat hypertension are only treating symptoms. So many of them slow the heart down because if you slow down the pump, there's less pressure in the system. But, you know, who do you think knows better uh, how fast your heart should be beating, your body or some big pharmaceutical company, right? So anyway, right. anytime we're treating symptoms, we are manipulating the body into creating a particular symptomatic response. We are, in every single case, injuring ourselves in some way. We're damaging. And, and the same, by the way, 
is true any time we manipulate the body. And so, unfortunately, much of the common conventional wisdom out there, even in the raw food world, it's about doing stuff to manipulate the body, like overeating to lose weight. You know, this is silly, and it may work temporarily, but it's counterproductive because we force the body, we force the metabolism up. And many people think this is a good idea. Faster metabolism means you can eat more without gaining weight, and that's what a lot of people want to do. But, you know, you can simply look at, at nature. You can Google this, and it's really clear that animals with faster metabolism have shorter lives. And it's, that's, that's what's going on, right? So we force that we eat more food, we force the metabolism up. If it's capable, if the body's capable of responding that way, for many people it's not, and those people simply gain weight. And you can gain weight overeating regardless of how high the quality of food is or what it consists of. Uh, but you know, if you're, even if you don't gain weight, that simply means your metabolism is faster than it was before, and that means you become less of your body is now putting more processing food and will age faster and die sooner. And in, mm-hmm. in uh, nature, the animals, look at a hummingbird. I don't know if you know this, but hummingbirds consume anywhere from three to 20 times their own body weight every day. Right? So wow. what, what do you weigh? What do you weigh, 150 pounds? Yeah, right around there, yeah. Okay, so imagine that you needed to eat anywhere from 450 to 3,000 pounds a day to maintain yourself. That's what, that's what the equivalent is. In order for a hummingbird to do that, its metabolism has to be super high in order for mm-hmm. it to burn those calories. But a hummingbird has the shortest lifespan of any bird. And they're exerting the so much. Because so much of its energy is so much energy is going into processing food. So anytime we we crank up the metabolism, we are short, we're shortening our lives by making the body work harder. There there are uh, hundreds of studies which, with animals that show that when when animals live less, and, you know they'll call these these calorie restriction studies. So they restrict because it's not that the animal is choosing to eat less. The scientists are artificially restricting their caloric intake. So if you take an animal and give it half as many calories as they normally consume, what they found over and over again is they tend to live twice as long eating half as much food. Now, the thing is, the idea of restricting calories probably doesn't sound very attractive to most people. It doesn't really appeal to them. It doesn't appeal to me either. I don't want to restrict myself from anything. I like to have everything I want. The key, I believe, is not in restricting calories, but in simply getting your body functioning at such an incredibly high level that as it becomes more efficient, you simply need less fuel. So you're not restricting your caloric intake. You're meeting your body's desires. You're simply making your body more efficient so it doesn't need as much. And so today, you know, I'm, up, I'm up six feet tall, about 150 pounds, 145 to 150 pounds. I'm 5% body fat. I'm very fit and strong. I'm very active. And I exist and have tremendous energy all day long, working most days from 5 a.m. until 9 p.m. or so, uh, on anywhere between 12 and 1,500 calories a day. Hmm. I have a question for you, you. Yeah. Uh, kind of around this topic. Uh, as far as you know, building muscle, I think it's, it's important to have uh, some strength, obviously. Uh, one of the kind of yeah. common reasons that people will go into a nursing home early is because they'll uh, they kind of lose uh, strength and they fall and then they 
you know, can't take care of themselves and they don't have enough protein reserves in order to kind of build and repair their body. And then, you know, they, people die prematurely that way or just age much quicker. So where, where do you kind of see that balance in between, uh, res, you know, kind of restricting your calories and at the same time having enough protein for your body to be sufficient? Is there kind of a, something in the middle there that you can kind of see as a great balance for you that you'd recommend? Well, um, you know, again, I, I don't encourage anyone to restrict their calories. I mean, I, I think the key, and, and honestly, David, this, this is the whole key for me. It's, it's getting really clear that the best we can ever do. Now, let me ask you a question. I'm interrupt myself for a second. Think about the 800,000 other species. You know, think about, uh, remind you're in Michigan, is that right? Yeah, Michigan, yeah. Okay, so in Michigan, uh, sometimes you've probably got squirrels out in your backyard. Um, you know, they're probably deer in the forest. You know, think about any of those animals. Before the deer has lunch, you think he stops and scratches his head with his paw and says, oh, "Let me see if I've have I gotten enough riboflavin yet today? Now, how many <laughs> how many how much protein have I consumed? Do I need to get more of that?" See, animals don't think about their needs. What they right. do is they live in their bodies. They completely inhabit their bodies. And and I think the biggest problem for most people is that we have these powerful brains. And people stay stuck in their heads. So rather than thinking about this from an intellectual point, I don't do that at all. I never think about my food. I don't think about how much, how many calories I'm eating or how much protein I'm getting. I don't worry about it or pay any attention to it like every other species. What I do is when I'm hungry, I eat. And I eat only from among those things that are naturally attracted to that my body, and, and, you know, again, living in a clean system, you can completely trust that. Now, until your system is clean, you can't necessarily trust because you're going to be uh, compelled to consume those things that you're addicted to, whether it's, it's cocaine, uh, alcohol, or bread, you know, you're going to get a message to consume that. But when your system's clean, it's going to direct you to consume only those things that actually belong there. So, although I don't calculate this, if I think about it, um, what I'm eating on average is probably between two and three percent of my calories from protein. You know, maybe a tiny bit more than that. Um, and people will say, "Well, how can that possibly be? Then it be enough?" But but think about this: protein is a building block of living cell tissue. So when would you guess in a human being's lifetime we would need the most protein? At what stage of our growth of our life would we need the most protein? When you're youngest and, and growing. Yeah, I would say when we're growing the fastest. And, you know, as, as you may not remember, but, but probably are aware, the average human baby is, is about seven pounds and uh, reaches 20 pounds within a year. So we triple in size in the first year of life and hopefully never triple in size again, right? I'm sure you haven't tripled in size in the last year. Uh, you know, if you did, you'd be trying to change that. But... <laughs> Tripling in size, that's incredibly rapid growth, which never happens again. That's when our protein needs are greatest. And ideally, we're consuming only human breast milk. In that first year of life, that human breast milk is going to be an average of 2% of its cow protein. Why would we, as, as, you know, I'm, I'm 52 years old. I'm not growing. Yes, I need to do what I need to do. I need to function well, and I'm... You know, maybe I'm building muscle, maybe I'm not, and I'm just maintaining. But the, but the fact is, why would I ever need more than 2% of my collagen protein if that's what I was able to triple in size consuming? One of the things we want to understand is that it's not simply, you can't 
you can't think about this simply in terms of uh, the quantity of protein. We have to look at the quality of protein as well. And by quality, part of that is how efficiently can our body access it? So, you know, we grew up, I grew up, and you probably did too, believing that animal proteins were superior, that we needed to eat meat and dairy products in order to be healthy because that's what our culture teaches us. And while those uh, products, while those items contain a lot of protein, that protein is bound up and very difficult to actually access because we can't digest it very efficiently. We're simply not designed to digest animal proteins. They're much more complex than plant proteins. And so, you know, if we can't get to it, how does it help us? Um, It doesn't. Actually, the, the statistics show that there is a correlation between protein and health, but it's an inverse relationship. Excess protein means higher rates of disease. So people who eat animal protein regularly have five times as much uh, cancer and heart disease as people that don't. I I really believe that not only do we never have to worry about how much protein we can... I mean, the only question is, how do we ensure we're not getting too much? If you're eating enough Mm -hmm. calories for your body, you're getting enough protein. If you're living on real food, you can't not get enough. So I honestly believe we never have to worry about that. I don't think the reason that people don't do well by the time they're a certain age is because they're not getting enough protein. That's what's really going on. I think right. because their bodies are toxic and they're dehydrated and they've lost bone density and there's all, there's all kinds of things happening, but I don't, I don't think it's about protein consumption. I think that's, uh, I just don't think that's accurate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me, it's been a, I've, I've kind of tested around different diets, if you will, and, and kind of changing different uh approaches to that and I've kind of done raw vegan for a bit and I've done uh, paleo to some degree just a lot less meat than most paleo people would you know uh, advise Mm -hmm. Um, and for me it's been kind of at some points I've kind of felt like you know I'd like to have you know more muscle mass and and, you know feel and look stronger and I feel like that protein is good if it's in the form of muscle and it's not you know uh, not undigested and acidifying in my body because you know obviously too much protein will cause acidity as well. So um, I think for me personally, and I think some people, it's, it's kind of a, it's a balance, but it's something obviously uh, to explore. But um, I do agree with, you know, the, it kind of does seem to be a little bit overhyped, you know, you need more protein and, and that does, oh, I'm it, glad you, glad you shared the information. With yeah, the, you know. I, I believe it's completely overhyped. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I wanted to ask you a bit I, about, I, I really believe, sorry, go ahead. I wanted to ask you a bit about the uh, tangible benefits of water fasting. Um, beyond, you know, mm-hmm. you, you mentioned uh, like uh, burning fat. Um, beyond that, what, I mean, I've heard a lot of different uh, kind of tangible benefits, but what have you seen? I mean, you've worked with more people. Uh, so what, what have you seen specifically that people have benefited from? Well, um, there, there, are two, there are two primary, uh, well, probably more than that. Uh, there are at least three or four primary things that are going on. First of all, um, the body is able to detoxify much more rapidly than it is at any other time, much more rapidly than if we're consuming anything. And so detoxification is critically important to how the body is able to function. Uh, again, you know, hygiene has long found natural hygiene that uh, disease is toxicity. Um, and I don't disagree with that. Although I've realized something over the last seven or eight years that very few people actually realize. Uh, you know, most people in the raw world 
in the health alternative health world imagine that they're well hydrated because they drink a lot of water or they drink a lot of smoothies or juices or they eat a lot of fruit and they think that's doing all they need to do. Over the last seven plus years, I've measured the cellular hydration of more than a thousand people. And what we find is that the vast majority, and I mean over 99.9%, are significantly dehydrated, on average about 15% less well hydrated than is possible. And so how, you know, why this is, is largely a result of uh, dietary choices and other lifestyle choices people make. But changing those choices once the body's already dehydrated, unfortunately, doesn't have the impact of creating full hydration. And that's because until the body is able to, to cleanse itself of all the old garbage, the body is going to be using water to try to do that. That's because every channel of elimination, whether it's through the colon, through the urinary tract, through the skin, through the mucous membranes, or through the lungs, through our breath, all those channels of elimination require water, and nothing moves without sufficient water. And so until the body is able to get clean, it's almost impossible to get fully hydrated no matter what you do. And the, the inverse of that is that once the body is clean, if we're eating correctly, full hydration simply becomes a natural matter of course. So we see our clients get their bodies clean and then go to full hydration. And unfortunately, because that can take months, and those people aren't here months later after their fast, I, I'm not able to measure this myself. But I hear from people who uh, do this at home and have the ability to measure this using bioimpedance analysis and, and probably know how to interpret those numbers because the numbers the scales give you aren't actually very accurate. They're not very useful. It's not that they're not accurate. They're not useful. Uh, we need to actually take those numbers and interpret them properly to discover what we need to know. And I teach my clients how to do that. When we do that, then we see massive improvements in hydration. So, you know, when you think about the fact that our bodies are or should be mostly water, when we go from being 15% dehydrated to being fully hydrated, the impact that has on the body, including how your muscles work, right? So, again, you know, I'm, I'm very lean. Uh, I have a very small frame. I, I carried much more muscle when I was younger, but I wasn't any stronger. And I would suggest that, you know, I, I understand the desire to look stronger, but I would encourage you to let that go and instead focus on being and feeling as well as possible. And when you do that, you know, when you're fully hydrated, the, the muscle you have functions much better. Everything functions much better. So tangible, I mean, some of the stuff, we talked about hypertension disappears, uh, Lyme disease disappears. You know, this, this is a case of the body actually eliminating uh, something that doesn't belong there and uh, recreating the highest level of balance, candida. Uh, candida dis disappears every single time because the yeast starve. The beneficial bacteria, which are consuming dead and dying tissue, continue to thrive, and we recreate the balance in the system. Um, Eyesight improves, all the senses improve. But I've actually worked with groups of blind people. I had a client that was uh, blind when we met, couldn't see me standing three feet in front of her, uh, eventually regained full vision, now drives a car and doesn't wear glasses. And she opened the center in Virginia Beach to help other people regain their eyesight. And this is years ago, and I haven't been in touch with her now in probably 12 or 13 years, so I'm not sure what she's up to. But we've worked with groups of her clients 
and saw amazing things shift over and over again with blind people. We've had people who've lost their hearing regain their hearing. Now, someone who's born congenitally deaf and um, you know doesn't have the mechanical configuration inside the ear to be able to hear, that's not going to change with fasting. But someone who loses their hearing by exposure to, to a lot of music or noise, um, we're going to see their hearing come back in most cases. Uh, we're going to, we've had people lose their smell. I've had a young man who lost his sense of smell because of cocaine use. Regain that completely. Um, we, we reverse aging. And we reverse aging for a couple of reasons. One of them is the hydration I talked about. I actually believe that most of what we think of as convention, you know, conventionally think of as aging is really long-term chronic dehydration. So wrinkles on the skin, skin loses elasticity because it's dehydrated. Until we're fully hydrated, you know, it's hard to shift that very much. But when we get people fully hydrated, their wrinkles go away. Uh, we see vision problems, which occur as people age, macular degeneration, you know, lots of problems occur because the eye, the lens, uh, some part of the eye is actually losing its shape. And it's losing its shape because the eye, which is essentially a ball of jelly, is made of mostly water. And when someone's walking around 15% dehydrated all the time, the body is constantly taking water away from non-critical, non-vital areas and systems of the body to ensure that the heart, lungs, brain, liver, kidneys, thyroid, pancreas, and bloodstream have what they need. And until we get fully hydrated, we, we know that's, that's how it's going to be. Once we, we fully hydrate the body, then we can start to rehydrate these places that have been severely depleted over the course of many years. And so we see people regaining their height we see them losing their arthritis. Uh, we see them regaining their eyesight. We see their wrinkles going away. All these things occur because we get them to full hydration. And I've never seen anyone get to full hydration without getting their body clean first. Um, the other thing that's going on is that when we're water fasting, the body is pumping out high levels of human growth hormone. Now, you can go take you know, expensive HGH supplements, but, again, here we are trying to manipulate the body. Well, how do you know how much you should, be, you should be consuming? You don't. It's very hard to get that right. And like anything else, if you don't get it right, you're inadvertently creating issues. We're creating problems. When we're fasting, the body has this opportunity to cleanse and heal and rejuvenate itself. And it pumps out exactly the amount of human growth hormone it needs to to get the results. And so we see people literally growing younger as a result of fasting. Um, what else? I mean, I could go on and on, but mm-hmm. amazing. I, yeah, I, yeah, the HCH yeah, is a, is HCH. definitely a great. I mean, for that reason alone, that's huge for you know uh, yeah. anti and, and staying young. I, I wanted to ask you real quick about uh, candida, I, because obviously you know in America, uh, candida is very prevalent, and uh, yeah. a lot of people are becoming more aware of this. Is there is there a kind of specific time period that someone could water fast that is kind of uh, would basically kill off the candida, the, the yeast infection, is that? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, while, while it may happen more quickly for some people, uh, I've worked with hundreds of people with candida over the years, and most people need 21 days minimum to eliminate candida. Um, again, you know, it might happen more quickly for some people, but it's not likely. What we're trying to do is recreate a healthy balance. So we need time for the yeast to both for the yeast to start 
and for the beneficial bacteria to replenish themselves. Uh, as soon as we begin eating, we're, we're feeding the yeast again. So, you know, if we don't give it enough time, we don't fully recreate the healthy balance. When we give it enough time, we see 100% success. We see similar results with lower GI tract problems. Today, irritable bowel syndrome, which I suffered from 30 years ago, uh, Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis are very common. And mm-hmm. these are diseases that medicine says can't be healed. And that's because if you've got ulcerated tissue in your colon and you're eating, you're exacerbating the condition no matter what you're eating. Now, you know, an optimal diet is going is to exacerbate it much less than a crummy diet. But if we give the system a chance to rest completely so there's no food moving through there, then that tissue has a chance to heal. And it will heal virtually every single time if it has enough opportunity. Uh, we have 100% success with Lyme disease, although we haven't seen hundreds of people like with some of the other conditions. I've probably worked with 10 or 12. We just had a gentleman here with Lyme disease. He suffered for years uh, and ultimately stopped working because he was, you know, felt so bad and so weak and wasn't able to do much. And I just heard from him yesterday, uh, you know, he was telling me that he is now, he's three weeks home after his fast. He's doing fantastically well. Um, this is what happens almost every single time. Um, what What about someone uh, like for uh, uh, parasites, for example? Have you seen anyone with that? that is, would water fasting kind of benefit that? Yeah, sure. We see, we see parasites sometimes. Um, unlike other means of dealing with parasites, where again I would suggest you're you're doing something unnatural to manipulate the condition, like using black walnut hulls, which you wouldn't actually eat normally. Um, we're not likely to see the parasites in most cases come out whole and alive because when you're fasting, what the body does is it looks to see what's there and it looks to see what can be had from it. So it'll break those parasites down and digest them and it'll take anything beneficial and use it and then eliminate the rest. So we don't typically mm-hmm. see whole parasites come out, but we see parasite issues resolved. Now, one right. of the most interesting things that we see, David, uh, is which is surprising to many people because you know many people imagine that if you you fast you're going to create nutrient deficiencies, and yet in all the fasting literature there's there's no evidence there's no examples of people even and people sometimes fast months four five six months we there there was a medical study years ago where they took a large group of people who were 400 pounds or more and they fasted them on average for five months, wow. and not a single person developed scurvy or beriberi, or any other deficiency condition. It seems that our nutrient needs actually shut off when we're fasting. We don't, you know, and, and there are nutrients because nutrients are already in the body, but the body seems to not even need them. But the crazy thing is, not only do we not create deficiency conditions, we regularly see people with deficiency conditions healing those conditions as a result of fasting. The, the last one uh, that was really Noteworthy was, oh, maybe nine months ago, we had a woman that I met while I was speaking uh, on a lecture tour a couple years ago in Phoenix. She came to a full-day seminar. She contacted me later the year and that year and said, listen, I've got a, a massive magnesium deficiency. And many people do, by the way. But her, her yeah. naturopath had put her on uh, massive magnesium supplements, and she felt great as long as she took the supplements. But she said to me, what do you think? And I said, well, you know, you're, you're tr- it's a Band-Aid. You're treating the symptom. There's a reason there's a deficiency, and there's only two possible reasons. Either your diet 
is insufficient, in which case you need to correct it. And it wasn't her diet because she was eating an optimal raw diet and still not getting the magnesium she needed while she was consuming tons of it. So what's the other possibility? Well, the other possibility is that your body is so toxic, dehydrated, and or inefficient that it's simply incapable of assimilating or properly accessing and using the magnesium that's there. And so her to, to give up the supplements and to come and fast, and she did. She fasted for 21 days, and all of the magnesium uh, deficiency symptoms disappeared while fasting. And now nine months later, the last I heard from her, I saw her when I spoke at the big event, uh, Rodven in Sedona back in March. Um, she was there. She was doing great. I heard from her since. She's continued to do great with no supplementation for the first time in years. And this is what happens over and over again, whether it's iron, whether it's uh, magnesium or potassium, whether it's B12. We don't need more B12. There's B12 in the body. What people need is to get the body clean and efficient. If you're needing to take a supplement of any kind, your body needs to cleanse and heal itself. And in most cases, the deficiency will disappear while you're fasting. Right. I know it sounds hard to see, but we see it over and over again. It, well, I, it, I mean, I think for from my perception of water fasting is, I mean, it's to some degree kind of a cure-all. Uh, it's very, uh, it balances the body in ways that, you know, food will not. And it's just, it allow, I think it really just allows the body to find a, a homeostasis that uh, it needs to find naturally. It's kind of like a pendulum. Um, I, I agree with you completely, David. I, I would only change one one minor statement. I would say that, uh, as you said a moment ago, in your first statement, you know, fasting does these things for you or to you. I would suggest that fasting is the most efficient and effective way for us to get out of the way so the body can balance itself, so the body can cleanse itself, so the body can heal itself. Fasting doesn't do anything for us except get us out of the way. It's the body right. that's doing all the work, and it just needs the right conditions to be able to do it. When we're putting most of our energy into processing food, it simply is incapable of doing those things most of the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, earlier in the interview, I uh, talked a bit about you know hydration. Is So really, do you believe that water fasting is kind of really the best way to get fully hydrated to allow the body to release those toxins and really fully hydrate your cells? Well, we don't usually see people uh, shifting their level of hydration significantly while fasting at all. Um, There's small changes uh, up or down, but there's no significant change because when we fast and we're, we're not processing food and we're resting completely, we're allowing the body the opportunity to put all of its resources into cleansing and healing. Because every channel of elimination requires water, all the water coming in and all the water available in the body is usually channeled into cleansing itself and healing itself. So, but, but what we find is that when we cleanse the body as completely as possible through fasting properly and long enough, we create the conditions for full hydration to occur after the fact. So it happens in the three to, you know, three to six months after someone does a long enough properly conducted water fast if they're eating properly, then we can see them achieve full hydration. And the crazy thing is, you know, we've, we've measured well over 1,000 people. We've seen levels of hydration that range from anywhere from 63 or 64% of lean tissue being hydrated, being water, up to mm-hmm. a high of 79.7%. Now, most of the people that I see here, uh, probably like you and probably like most others, 
are, are aware that they need to drink a lot of water and are probably drinking anywhere from 8 to 12 glasses of water a day, right? Most mm-hmm. people know that's what needs to happen. Right. I believe that drinking water is not going to create hydration and actually in most cases exacerbates issues because we're diluting our electrolytes. So it may be important for people temporarily to keep drinking some water, but taking a lot of water is not the way to do it. You have to get the body clean. I've spent more than two years of my life cumulatively fasting. I fasted 40 sometimes and over the last 20 plus years. And my system's pretty clean. I'm eating a you know, very clean diet that's primarily fruit, some, some salads, very little else for 22 years now. And I maintain uh, a hydration level of just under 80% lean tissue, which I believe is as high as we can go. And 80% is the theoretical uh, goal that we're striving for. Mine's been 79.7% or so every time we've measured it for the last seven years. But we've never seen anybody more hydrated than me, and I rarely drink any water. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I mean, I so, like drink two or three glasses a week. Really? Yeah. So just be, your body's basically just holding on to it, water retention, basically, where it needs it. Well, yeah, and it's, I mean, the water retention has a connotation that's not positive. It, what right, it means yeah. is that, you know, I, I believe that like our closest primate relatives, we're designed to take in virtually all, if, you know, most if not all of our water from our perfect foods. But, mm-hmm. if, you know, once your body's clean, if you're eating an optimal diet, then you're getting all the water you need. Right. And I find that to be true. It doesn't matter. You know, I can go to the beach and spend three hours surfing and in the hot sun and you know, here in the tropics. Um, I still want you to drink a lot of water. It doesn't change anything. You know, I, I, I have my watermelon. I come out after spending two or three hours in the ocean. I might come out and eat, eat a small watermelon or half of a watermelon. And, but that's mm-hmm. all I need to do. By, by simply eating what I need to eat, that takes care of it the vast majority of the time. Again, there's, you know, I'll consume a tiny amount of water, but not very much. Mm-hmm. And, and you can actually measure, like you said, 79.7%, uh, how much water, what is that called exactly, at the, that you measure at the Tank of Wood Wellness Center? Well, what, yeah, we're, we're using bioimpedance analysis. We're using pretty, you, know, you can buy a, a $30 device. It won't be very accurate. We use a machine that runs around 500 bucks. And it's considered very accurate. This is a technology that was developed for the U.S. military because the, uh, the government was concerned about soldiers in desert conditions becoming dehydrated. And they needed a way they could measure this in the field. So this, you know, the, the most accurate device you can use, you're going to find at a few research institutes because it costs hundreds of thousands of dollars. But um, we use, is considered 99.9% accurate. And it, what it does is it will tell you by looking, it's called bioimpedance because fat impedes the flow of electricity and the water, uh, you know, is a good conductor. So it's a complex algorithm. We punch, we put in some information on each person. We then measure the person. We're measuring the flow of electricity through the body. And uh, the, the device is able to give us a pretty accurate indication of how much water is in the body, how much fat, how much muscle mass, and various other things. Um, and what it does, though, is it's going to tell you, again, let, let's say you're 150 pounds, and the machine might come back and say that you're 50% water, that 75 pounds of your body is water. Well, that's interesting, but it's not very useful. And it's not very useful 
And that's all, all they tell you is how, what percentage of your body is water. So we have to take that information and actually calculate what's your lean hydration, what percentage of your lean tissue is water, because there is virtually no water in fat. So the 50% doesn't mean anything. In fact, when we first started doing this, I had measured myself and my interns and my staff, all of whom had fasted with me and had been eating, had broken their fast a minimum of five weeks earlier. And we were looking at numbers that went from 72 to 79%. And I thought, great, everyone's doing well. And then, we, then our, guests, our next group of guests came in to begin their fast. And we started measuring people at 60%, at 58%, at 50%, at 45%, as well as 37% water. And I was thinking it should be 75 And I'm thinking, how can someone survive if they've got half as much water as they should have? Right. And what I realized was, and, and the, the manufacturers, and we've used three different brands over the years now, um, none of them help you know, none of them tell you anything about this. But the fact is there's very little water in fat. It takes water to make fat, but once it's fat, there's no water available to the body. And when the body is breaking down fat, one of the byproducts is water. This is how a polar bear can survive five or six months underground consuming nothing at all because its body is metabolizing its fat and giving it both the nutrients it needs, the calories it needs, and the water it needs. So the problem with humans is that that doesn't work for us because most people start out dehydrated. So our average client needs to consume three to four liters a day, and if they don't do that, we see the negative implications. We see that their blood volume is dropping, that their heart has to be faster, and that as a result of those two things happening, everything is not going to function as well as it could. So we monitor this very closely. So the the machine tells us that what percentage of the body is, is water, and I then calculate looking at your, uh, the amount of body fat you have you know, compared to the amount of weight you have and looking at the weight of the water in your body, we then calculate what percentage of your lean tissue is water because that's what's important. It should be around 80%. And we see people run 64 to around 69% on average and right around 15% dehydrated most of the time. And, and these are the people that come here. You know, I'm not saying this is average for the world because the folks who are at McDonald's having lunch, you know, uh, on the East Coast, they're probably less hydrated if they eat that kind of stuff all the time. The people in the scene here are people who are usually making much better than average choices. Right. Those, those people are 15% dehydrated. The average person is probably much worse than that. That has huge implications for how well we function, for how, you know, for how fast we age, for how well our organs work, uh, for how clearly the brain works. Um, everything is affected. It's most important. And mm-hmm. manipulate that. You know, if you ever read uh, Dr. Batman's Your Body's Many Cries for Water, he was, he was a doctor, an MD, and so he looked at this issue and realized that dehydration was a huge factor figured out a way to manipulate the body into higher hydration. You know, typical medical approach, let's treat the symptom. And so he eliminated the symptoms in many conditions. But he died at 72. He, he didn't create a high level of health for himself by doing this practice because he was only treating symptoms. He wasn't having people change their diets. He wasn't even looking at diets. And he wasn't looking at the cause of the problem. If we want to change anything 
long term, you know, significantly, we have to address the cause, the underlying cause of the issue. And what I first, and it was, you know, it was great because it really got me thinking more about this. And then we started measuring people, and I was blown away by what I saw. And now I understand how to get somebody fully high and what is dehydration in the first place. And so we, we now have the ability to both measure what's happening, but also to actually deal with the underlying cause of the problem, because that's the only way to ever change anything, really. Right. I have a qu- Do you have a few more minutes, by any chance? I do. I, I have too much more time, but I'll, I'll be glad to answer. Okay, I'll make it quick. Uh, as far as I know, yeah. one thing, uh, aches and pains, like people that have uh, tight or tense muscles or, you know, whether it be in their legs, shoulders, arms, wherever, have you seen people kind of benefit from water fasting as far as those aches and pains are concerned? Absolutely. Uh, universally. Universally so. You know, and, and if you think about and there are many reasons that people have these aches and pains. Um, one of them is many people have excess tension and carry it in particular places. But think about how that would respond to various conditions as opposed to if it were not fully hydrated. So as one takes somebody's level of hydration way up, the tension, the pain, you know, these, these things tend to disappear simply by getting the body hydrated. Mm-hmm. All tissue becomes much more. So we see, we see a lot less tension being held in the body. Hmm. I used to date a massage therapist, and to, uh, she was... She was recently out of school, and she loved to practice on me because, uh, A, I'm very lean, and I have, I have a lot of muscle. So it was easy. To, my muscles were well-defined. She could easily see where she needed to be working and see what was going on. But I also didn't carry any significant amount of tension anywhere. So it, was, it wasn't so difficult um, working with me. When people have a lot of tension, it's hard work for a massage therapist to try to shift mm-hmm. that. Right. Uh, one final question for you. If someone wants to get started water fasting, uh, what do you recommend they kind of do? What, you know, step by step, just kind of simple steps. Uh, how many days do you recommend and where, where would they start? Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, uh, I, if, I can, if I can be so bold, I would start by encouraging people to go to my YouTube channel and take a look. It's simply, Lauren, you know, go to YouTube, uh, look, at, look for Lauren Lockman. Uh, maybe you can provide a link here. But um, I've, I've put up, uh, I, I think there are now live maybe 125 or 130 videos. Um, they're not fasting, but many of them relate to fasting. Many, there are many videos with clients of mine who are actually in the process or have just completed the process telling you about what happened for them in their own words. And then there are many videos with me explaining what's going on and what happens and the benefits, et cetera, et cetera. So I would start by learning as much as you can. And, you know, there, there are lots of books out there and there are lots of people with opinions out there, but you wanna, I think you want to take counsel from people that actually have real experience. And so I would suggest that my YouTube is a good place to start. I wouldn't encourage anyone, as I said before, to go more than a week. You might want to start with just a couple of days and see, see how it feels and see what you experience. But mm-hmm. most people can probably do, go a week without doing too much damage. Else, um, you can't see your way clear to getting 
to Tanglewood in Costa Rica or, you know, or some other fasting center. And there, there are half a dozen fasting, real fasting centers in the world. There are many places that say that they supervise water fast but have little real experience. So I would uh, discourage anyone from going there um, to those places. But you know, if you can't get yourself to a real fasting center, the next best thing that you might want to consider would be uh, getting coaching over the actually do Skype every day. And you know, I can see my clients, make sure they're, they're measuring their vital signs correctly. I can interpret the signs for them, talk to them what's going on and what they're experiencing. Um, these are critical things because, again, if you do this incorrectly, all the power of the process is being used in a way that's actually harmful to you. But if you want to start, you know, see what it feels like. Remember, rest is completely... I would encourage any to eat as simply as possible, ideally mono or simple green salads for at least a couple of weeks before fasting. Now, there are times where that may not happen. Uh, you know, if you've been injured and you wake up sick, I'd encourage you to fast to allow your body to cleanse and heal itself. But, uh, you know, it may only be a couple of days, uh, but you have the chance. Now, of course, you know, I'd encourage everyone to eat it anyway. But if you're not already doing that, then you might want to, and you're planning on fasting, you might want to spend a couple of weeks simplifying your diet, keeping it as simple as you can, not overeating. And the idea is to not burden your system, to make it as possible to digest everything you're consuming so that your body can uh, eliminate the possibility of starting the process with a, a load of old stuff in your digestive tract anyway. But um, I do not encourage, by the way, the use of hydrotherapy. We're clear that it weakens the colon, it winds up impairing function later on, and that if fasting long enough and properly, the body will take care of that on its own. Today, I, I mentioned to you I had a gentleman uh, who just completed a six-week fast. He's actually 11 or 12 days out of that fast now. And he eliminated a little bit uh, several, probably five or six days, but hadn't eliminated since then. And he's been consuming a significant amount. Finally this morning, eliminated literally five, four or five pounds of old, hard, black, dry, stinky material. And I don't mean to gross people out, but the fact that the average person is carrying between five and ten pounds of this stuff, and it has a serious negative impact on you. And we have fasted many people who have used colonics and enemas and who still have this stuff in there. It's, it's sim- they're simply mm. not that effective in eliminating it. Um, getting out of the way and letting the body do what it needs to do is the most effective way to eliminate it. So uh, eating well prior to fasting can, can eliminate as much of that as, pro- as possible. Those are probably mm. the, the basic keys. Um, one more thing, uh, if, you know, if I can add this, uh, if you're interested in, in exploring this, the possibility of coming to fast with me, and you'd like to, um, to check it out to see whether that's uh, something you want to do or not, if you go to my website, tangledwellnesscenter.com, and complete a fasting registration form, which is giving you health history information, uh, I will give you a free 45-minute exploratory you know, discovery session with me on the phone where we can talk about whether the process will benefit you or not. Uh, again, there's, there's, no, uh, there's no obligation, there's no cost. It's just a chance to talk to me. It's, it's not a consultation. I'm not going to, you know, it's not to answer all your questions and solve all your problems for you. It's to explore the process of fasting and see if it's something that's going to make sense for you. That's so awesome. I need to get, I need to, to get out and, and get with my clients here, but it's been a real pleasure being with you, David. 
Yeah, and that, that offer is very generous. So uh, tanglewoodwellnesscenter.com is where they can go for that. That's right. Awesome. And thank you so much for your time, and uh, Pura Vida. Have a great day. Pura Vida, amigo. Take care. Take care. Bye. Bye.